right, all right, all right. It's Friday, May 7th, 2021. And you're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you delicious text news and all the hot takes you can handle. With Tyler Gates, Russ Cantwell, and Aaron Bewley. Only Russ and Aaron couldn't join us today, so I brought John! Mr. Nicholson, how you doing today, man? Good. I like that you start out with John as though like I'm one of those people who gets known by their first name. You know, I was it's like, not, wow. yeah, I don't know that I've ever called you, John. I always refer to you as Nicholson. I feel like I'm going to end up in blue check, like have a blue check next to my Twitter handle here soon. Like <laughs> I, I have spicy hot Terrified. takes that you probably don't want to know. Like that's that's reach peak. But you don't want to. I feel like hot takes made it back into our intro because of a copy paste error, which is probably mine. And if Russ and Aaron were here, they'd, they'd give me crap for it. But they're not. So, <laughs> but I'm here and it's a Friday. So that can mean it's financial Friday. Those are the best Fridays, in my opinion. Financial Fridays are great. And there's always lots of good tech news that is financially related whether it's massive losses associated with breaches or promises for cheap broadband that don't pan out at the you know, national level or earnings, which we've had a ton of lately. And then, of course, crypto, which this is great because anything that happens in the crypto space is inextricably tied to tech because it's just code, right? Back me up yeah, there. yeah. And it's the reason <laughs> why we can't find those GPUs for that ML project that actually has value. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I, you know, I'm curious the number of companies, and I doubt that it was like a CEO directive, but I'm sure that there are some of these out there too, where somebody, you know, internally basically, basically absconded with these really beefy resources and mines crypto either on during off hours or, or wholeheartedly, like they just had a blank check for, for oh, IT. We, we, and, jo- we were joking with like our, <laughs> you know, our Bitfusion guys about this. I was like, wait, you've got what cards on order? I'm like, I'm pretty sure we can crank out three grand a, a week on that, you know, between customer <laughs> demos. Um, hey, no know, joke. Mainly, I talked to a, a power producer at one yeah. point in time. Uh, it, was a, it was a bit of a meandering connection, but I, I was given a spreadsheet that basically was trying to make a justification for instead of shutting down production when rates were low, just dumping power into Bitcoin mining data centers at like three cents a kilowatt hour. And uh, and I was like, wow, that's awesome and horrifying. And there are a ton of assumptions that are probably terrible. Ironically, if I still had a copy of that spreadsheet, the assumptions that were terrible were Bitcoin's going to increase in price at this percent over yeah, this many yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blahs. And I think it probably absolutely destroyed that. So bad me, but <laughs> it's it's like in a new, you know, I look at some of this stuff like that where you're doing a large capital outray for a cash flow that's highly volatile. It's like, would, okay, would you buy an annuity that's priced in pesos? Like, I mean, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> Or Zimbabwean dollar. Okay, maybe not Zimbabwean dollars, but like that's that's yeah, the thing. They have, don't thinking, they have a hundred trillion dollar note now? Turkish Zimbabwe? lira. Like you know, there pick you a go. pick a somewhat unstable currency that ha- can have some weird geopolitical impacts. This, and wait, like that does is, you're still buying use the lira? They what? do. They do. I was thinking. Yeah, I was thinking that they had a consolidated concern, currency, but they don't. They still have. No, they're not. They, they're not. They use, use no. It. But no, so my 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 spicy my spicy take on the spicy takes is you seen all these takes recently that like crypto is ruining the earth, it's polluting. Okay, yeah, it's probably bad and it's probably useless, whatever. And I would like to be able to buy a damn video card. But my my spicy take here is that actually the really large scale crypto nuts 
they've already, you know, it's like data has gravity. Well, cheap power has gravity and the cheap power is oh, all yeah. hydro. I mean, when I, this, I still, I think, I think this is a, a hugely disingenuous argument for crypto. I, I saw this and I don't have the article crypto, at my fingertips and I read it a long time ago, but attracted renewables so well, like it's, and, and I get that. Right. But that's just because power is cheap. We could still be offsetting carbon production power or carbon-based power production with renewable energies if we weren't trying to suck the renewables dry for crypto mining, unless this is quite literally well, like it's easier to shed into now. crypto, right? Well, it's e so here's the thing. It's easier to move the GPUs to the dams in, wa mm -hmm. in Washington State region than it is to backhaul that power to Texas. So I This just is true. I just went to Power to Choose. By the way, those of you not in Texas, go to PowerToChoose.org and be prepared to be confused. Um, <laughs> that is a fact. Oh my gosh! So I, I needed to sign a new power contract, and like the best 12, 18 months I could find was like nine cents a kilowatt. It's it's up for unrelated reasons we won't get into. But <laughs> here's the thing: is power I know for a fact is it can be closer at large scale commercial agreements, closer to anywhere from four all the way down to two cents. If you're in Wenatchee, Washington, where our data center is, oh, I don't know what yeah. people pays, but I assume it's probably closer to two than four. Um, why is power five times more expensive in Texas than right next to a dam? Um, that's because of midstream. That's because of transport. Sure. And so, you know, here is here's the thing. And so here's, you, you know, and, and look at Texas, actually, when we built all these big wind projects up north. We spent hundreds of millions of dollars on transmission to pull that back. So part of the, you know, Tyler, as you know, you've probably seen half your power bill can be transmission. Oh, so, oh gosh. Yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah. Easily half. I mean, that's that's so, the the worst of it, right? Yeah. The delivery gotta, charges are massive. I And, and here's I, I think that, you know, crypto's volatility of anything will eventually you'll you'll end up with some cases where crypto won't sustain itself or the bursts or the needs or the or the existing hardware will be made more energy efficient as we move to uh two nanometer ibm just announced that that was week speaking of tech news um which is oh yeah saw that two nanometer process like imagine an iphone that gets people a battery i, I saw um, a lot of skepticism around that though too a lot of people were uh ragging on ibm for marketing getting ahead of actual useful tech well they're um, not I, I think it's yeah surprising. yeah it's well, yeah, yeah, but I think they're they're basically they're throwing shade at IBM for being vaporware at this point, which is that's ugly. I mean, well, I mean, winners, yeah. I mean, one Man, thing to remember, IBM is out of the foundry business, by the way. Yeah, they're fa they're fabulous. Yeah, yeah. So they right. uh, they outsource the global <laughs> fabulous. foundry. Why does that sound so cool? Fabulous, fabulous. That's it. Fa fabulously fabulous. Yeah, is that well, a thing? We don't need that. Yeah. Well, but the other <laughs> thing also on so on on nanometer design, you got to remember that just because you've reached a lower process node, one mm -hmm. doesn't mean you can produce it in bulk. So if you have right. to throw out half the chips on the die, congratulations, that's great. But you're you know, yeah, that's not going to scale until well. you can ramp. Uh, and that's partly why TSMC has been so successful is they put all their foundries in the same area so they could uh, they could focus and they don't have to fly engineers around mm -hmm. to sort that out. But um, the other thing also to realize is I mean there have been. Intel is notoriously good at once they've, you know, solidified a nanometer process die, they enhance it. So when you look at the current Intel processors, yes, yeah. they're 10 nanometer, but they call it like 10 nanometer plus, 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 because they're <laughs> a lot more better. Lots I mean, of, still not lots as good of as five nanometer. Footnotes. But no, it's uh, foundries and this stuff, you know, mm -hmm. it's, 
that is a notoriously difficult industry to understand, but it's the changes there, the geopolitics of that power transmission. This is all just an interesting space to watch. Um, oh, for sure. And Man, some of the claims in the, the IBM process announcements too. I mean, they were talking about uh, quadrupling battery life in, in cell phones and things like that. Yeah. Like just the, the efficiency gains are insane. So, I mean, I, I want them to succeed. I think everyone does, whether they care or even know why a smaller nanometer process is useful or important. Like the, the real world gains for successfully scaling that is, is amazing. So... Well, go look at what you're trying to buy right now. And if it's a smaller nanometer process, which you can look it up online, like I'm trying to buy this video card or buy an iPhone and be like, click the processor, click through and be like, oh, that's a seven or five. Yeah, those are in short supply right now versus if it's, you know, that's why, and there's going to be a follow on. So the, the financial, I guess, thing to be aware of here is since we're having problems with supply chain, particularly on the newer stuff, people are going to delay new products. Um, yeah. They're going to... They're not just gonna. They're gonna milk existing process lines, and they'll they'll let the R and D cook more and more until supply starts relieving um, on that. Um, okay, we so. might actually get uh, fully baked releases. Is that is that more likely? Full, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, nah, um, they'll just they'll add features. Speaking of adding features, I think we should talk about Doge. Uh, because Dogecoin, as far as I know, has no features, but that hasn't stopped it from being insanely valuable. So yeah, the the the, sh the shocking number that what someone threw out was uh, Dogecoin. The market capitalization is worth uh, more than eighty percent of the Fortune five hundred. Um, <laughs> so I I saw I saw an article. Uh, this is actually um, I, I saw it floating around in a few different places. But uh, the co-creator of Doge, um, one of one of the co-creators of Doge, actually sold all of his Doge cryptocurrency uh, six years ago. And he bought a used Honda Civic with that sale. And uh, for, for anyone who's not completely familiar with how incredibly diluted Doge is, I mean, it's it's like a hundred million Dogecoin and no upper limit. Like it's not, it's not a deflationary asset. Like they can just make more when they want. It's it. got the, it's got the same they've changed rate it. as, yeah, that, it's not it, like it just grows. But, but it is now Doge is now worth, uh, 54.64 billion. I think at peak is, is what it was looking at. Right. Um, and, and, and that may not have been the actual peak of where it was. Cause I know it kind of started to fluctuate dramatically, but it, Doge was up over 18,000% in the last year, 18,000% because it was worth fractions of a penny 365 days ago. And now yeah, it's the, worth like 38 cents. <laughs> you got to view. So one thing I have to view with these valuations is I suspect the liquidity is, and, and the ability of the float to sustain a price oh, is gosh, relatively no. low. Yeah, so, it is. It, well, that's why you see flash crashes on, on almost any alts, especially. But even Bitcoin is, has seen some pretty dramatic drops. And if you're watching um, you know, order flow on any of the major exchanges, when you see a, quote, whale move out where somebody is selling or buying you know, hundreds of coins, so millions of dollars worth or, or thousands of coins, right? you see a dramatic drop in price when those 
those big moves happen. They will go down fast or up depending on, on where the pressure is coming from. But it's, uh, yeah, so a is large, this what the large stock market in like the 1920s was like before the SEC had <laughs> any it power. Was. Like, <laughs> well, in what, like some of the ways that the, the traditional stock market being traded, yep, 1920s, yeah. various yes. kinds of shell companies. For sure. Uh, large what scale manipulation, overhype. Oh, yeah, no, we're, well, yeah. And, and man, it's funny you bring that up actually, because I, I remember when I first toyed around with this, I remember watching order flows and uh, the stories of people that would just put in limit buys at like one one hundredth of the current price and they would execute. And sometimes they'd execute because exchanges had errors in their code, but it's crypto. At that point, you can just move it and, and it's yours, right? Like there's yeah. very little they could do about that. It was just somebody lost money and it was their fault and very little recourse. Um, and then sometimes it was because the number of new quote unquote traders that literally didn't know what a market order was or how to look at liquidity and realize that they put in an order for 10 of something and there are a maximum of like three other people trying to sell it right now or buy it. And then all of a sudden they would execute at the lowest market price, which is that one one hundred yeah, offer yeah. on the table. Like craziness. And, and of course, there's no protection against this right now. Unlike the stock market, the SEC hasn't stepped in and said, you know, those large tranches, for instance, if you've got whales that want to sell to whales, they can't do it after market on, on a piece of paper, right? I mean, I suppose you could because it's crypto, uh, yeah, but yeah, you're not doing it through right an exchange. Now. Like we, we have an entire system designed to prevent uh, Berkshire Hathaway no from pools. selling a hundred yeah, million of something. There's no Without dark it pool on the blockchain affecting like, liquidity no, no right to now. Hide the transaction. Yeah, exactly. Like, the other thing. So, so if you want to move a hundred million of a cryptocurrency right now, you're just going to do it actively on an exchange. Well, sell to to log large liquidity. If you want to move it, All you right. can do that. So let's 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 turn this ship away off from exchange. crypto. Doge is wild. I you know, in theory, should have fear of missing out on this, but I'm I'm doing all right. So Man, um, I that it's. Everyone that's ever asked about crypto, it's like you flip a coin and decide whether or not you're going to take your little pile of money to the nearest casino and put it all on black or pick pick an alt, right? Like there is almost no difference other than maybe the crypto dollars you get to play like a slot machine a little longer. I don't know. Yeah, but if you just want to play that, I mean, there's that's called the options market and commodities. Like, I mean, just bought, you could have just bought lumber futures and called it a uh, day. forex. That's that's a fact. Oh God, forex. Lumber. There's a drunken casino um, <laughs> and manipulation. So yeah, uh, John is not a, a heavy endorsement of for of um, trading currencies, leverage currencies. Ooh. But uh, so one thing, I one story that caught my eye today, and I want to bring up Tyler. Um, the op-ed in the in the in the post, the Washington Post today, uh, ah, yes, Kathy of the Washingtonian, which I believe is a magazine, uh, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, she basically wrote this article saying that I'm, you know, I don't want to mean to dunk on uh, Kathy Merrill any more than she probably deserves, um, or the rest of the internet is doing, but is con- concerned about basically office worker and office worker culture is under attack from employees not wanting to come back. Um, and she, she made an interesting point that actually said she thought that it was going to be older employees and not younger employees wanting to come back in, which was not what I would have immediately gravitated to. Mm -hmm. But 
I guess it's market realities of being in DC and real estate is the older, more senior employees are more likely to have a large house that has a spare office. And to a certain degree, I guess maybe they're later in their career and less need of networking um, versus younger employees who are living on top of each other in their mom's bedroom was kind of a comment. But she she basically came off as a bit threatening in saying that like, hey, if you're not going to show up for important other duties like office birthdays and mentoring employees. I was like, wait, what are these? What are wait these a things, second. One of these things falls under other duties. Office birthday parties. Uh, as a celiac, nope. I found them offensive. You know, I can't, that's fine. Uh, but no, it was, she goes through this thing and it basically ends with this thing of, well, you know, we've got a, as employers, we've got a really attractive option of just moving you to be contractors and uh, dropping your benefits and lowering our costs basis. And also remember, you know, managers tend to keep the people they see. And it was this kind of like vague threat at the end. Or no, like, right. Yeah. It, it No, it was, it was an interesting article. I, I, my initial reaction to that though, was I, I was a little repulsed at the idea that the job you're hired to do and the salary that you're being paid for it, if you're not going to mark them as 1099 somehow includes an onus to be culturally engaged with the company like that is that a misstep like my my initial thought was like i like companies for their culture right like that's something i seek when i'm looking for employment but and and i guess there's some onus on employees to promulgate that culture I, but but is it a job requirement for me to like Go to the office birthday party. (laughs) So I actually worked at a place where my boss came to myself and another member of the department and said, I've got complaints from the CEO that y'all are not participating in the office potlucks. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, (laughs) and so this raises back this meta question you've asked of like, are part of your employment duties, you know, we'll get back to like hybrid and remote work here in a second, but it's part of, you know, sure. it's part of it to actively participate in the culture. And sometimes you might like a company culture, sometimes you might not, but the onus that you're for, that the company culture is compulsory is, uh, is yeah, weird I, and culty. That's, um, yeah, it, that's, I think that's what made my skin bristle. Like the more I think through it, the more I think, well, it's not completely unreasonable, right? Like, like I said, when I'm looking for employment, I am assessing culture. I want a good culture or one that I yeah. feel matches me. And and to some extent, they're looking for a good culture fit or should be. And and if those things jive, then there's there is sort of an unwritten, you're going to contribute to the overall culture of the place. And if you're completely outside of that, you probably don't fit that well. But but maybe that's where the, I have a problem. It's, it's, the, the challenge here, though, is I actually view this as inherently somewhat exclusionary. Um, and not just, yeah, that's true. but birthdays, there are religious groups who don't celebrate birthdays. They actually don't believe in it. And so that, I mean, yeah, where I do you draw the line? What, what yeah, is company you, culture and what's just people being nice? <laughs> yeah. And what if people are like, you know, that's not my thing. I don't celebrate them. Like, I'm just not going to show up to that. Like, I'm going to just work on my work during that day. It's, sure. uh, well, I, I, think, I think there's a, there, there's this tendency these days anyways, and I don't know if it's been this way forever. Cause I, I've not been employed for all of time, but um, this idea that like colleagues or family, because that, that terminology is so overladen. Like, like if somebody says, come work for me, we're like family. All I think of is like, 
changing poopy diapers and cleaning up vomit. And, and obviously there's good times too, but, but for family, I have to do, I have to do the crap. Yeah. Well, no. So the family analogy, so there's two, there's two analogies I like. So there's the Netflix one, which is team, which we'll get to in a minute, but there's the family analogy. And I worked at a place where it was like family. It was like, yeah, uh, we, we pay everyone the same, even the lazy guy who does a 10th of work and, you know, um, yeah. But you're all expected to clean the floors, you know, yeah, when, we're all expected when the lazy the guy floors. screws them up. <laughs> yeah. We, you know, you know, when the will gets settled, you know, Bobby, you know, for some reason got all the assets and who knows why, like compensation is just a random grab bag of favoritism. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like I was um, ragging on my family there. I wasn't, I was just saying we, that we don't family get rid comes of with anyone in the family, like that racist aunt who's family like, comes with change coming to the, you know, the, the, the the reunion like no like that's only appropriate for family <laughs> for a bad employer like it's exactly it's, it's like i, I gladly do these things for my baby I do, I do not gladly do these things for my employer yeah but the other alternative you know the other viewpoint there in terms of viewing a workplace and culture uh netflix took this time to a machiavellian extreme but like we're a team a professional sports team and we want to keep you know a-grade talent in all the positions and you know what? When it's time for you to move on, we'll give you a generous compensation package to leave. Like I'd rather work in a place like that, yeah. Than than like people who use the family analogy because oh yeah, we're like family. We like you. We like you. Like you until it comes like riff season, and then we stab you in the back randomly. Yeah, no, I we feel bad family. about it though. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, there there was a there was another thing in the article. Uh, I'm trying to remember now. Um, Oh, I'm, I'm, I lost it. I had a thought, but go, go back to the hybrid work. Cause reading through yeah. that, it really sounded like her position was people need to be in the office so that you, you get those water cooler conversations so that networking is easier because apparently that can only happen face to face or it's impossible to facilitate over zoom. Cause those well, are kind of comments you, you in can the do article. Offsites or other reasons. There's other well, ways to and do And that's, that, yeah. that's the thing is it's not, uh, it, it's not binary. This isn't, well, it, it's not, that's a false dichotomy to say work from home or work in office. Like it can be a mix. Well, so here's the thing. She probably bought into teams instead of Slack and zoom. <laughs> and yeah, like no one wants to spend any more time communicating on teams than they have to. Um, there's no like, you know, water cooler channel on your teams where people, you know, have casual conversations or off top. Like, just structurally, I, I think part of it is, is this is we move, you know, we all work together now, then we all worked remote. And then now we're looking at a hybrid office environment and finding ways to include remote workers, um, how to, from a, from an employer, it is more work to say, Hey, we're going to have an offsite or we're going to have a company meetup. We're going to have a lunch, you know, or something, uh, for people who are in the area, or we're going to have structure. Like I, we did, uh, my team, we did a wine tasting recently. Like they had a sommelier, like we, nice. they mailed us six little bottles of wine. Like we sat there. We Charlie, are you listening? Yeah. <laughs> we, we had a social engagement and that's a way to like, to, to break the ice and have some well, discussions and thing, things inside. There, there are many uh, high performing, fully remote teams, <laughs> but exactly. It, it's not as simple as giving everyone a cubicle and making sure they're in the same place, which I, I do understand. Like I think about friends that I've had for a really, really long time, like, like Aaron, Aaron's a great example of on the show. You know, we've talked about that, but Aaron and I very likely wouldn't have gotten to know each other as well as we did. And we, as a result, probably wouldn't still be friends if we were not forced to sit next to each other 
day after day after day for years. And that's cool. It's a great way to force people to get to know each other. But I don't know that employment is the right, like adults getting to know each other shouldn't be a fishbowl experience. Or, or shouldn't be a forced fishbowl experience. Some people are totally into that, and that's okay. But it's not the only way to, to garner networking or, or intercollegiate, no, not collegiate, colleague, collegial. What's the, I, I don't know what I'm going for there. Inter-office inter relationships, right? Inter-office relationships sounds like something HR is going to call me in for. That does, so, that does sound bad. Yeah, I just, that's, I, that's even worse, Tyler. My word um, grab bag is not working for me here. But no, it's so, I mean, this, this is a thing. And I think, part, I think one area she does correctly call out is the, um, the early career side. Mm -hmm. That is an area where close proximity, there are some, it's easier to do some mentorship and things like that. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean it's impossible, but I think we're going to have to, a lot of companies, let's be honest, a lot of middle managers everywhere are bad. They're bad at what they do. Um, they're mediocre at best. Sure. I, I I consulted, so I'm not even speaking from my VMware experience. I'm speaking from being an IT consultant, working across hundreds of environments, and and meeting all kinds of middle managers. Most middle managers are mediocre at best. They're bad at they're bad at feedback. Um, they're bad at it at, at driving outcomes. They're bad at measuring employee worth. Uh, really terrible at that. I've done comp assessments. It's they're they're bad. And so, but you can survive as a company with very mediocre managers in an office environment because people can work around them and, you know, stuff like that. Um, having a bad manager in a remote environment or having mm, bad employees remote yeah. environment is 10 times worse. But if yep. you have good man, if you have good managers, good tools and good employees, it's, 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 you know, you're going to be able to attract the best talent. You're going to do that. So it's, I think this, this thought of remote and hybrid work in this, we also need to take some internal ownership and say, uh, if I, if you're a manager, Am I accurately communicating goals to my teams? Am I having regular meetings? If I'm a skip manager, am I having regular, like, you know, at least monthly or quarterly or something, one-on-ones with my skip reports so that way I can identify gaps in my in my frontline managers? Yeah. These are, this is the crap you have to do. And as I I watched my poor skip manager one time got into a call and he, I was like, you look kind of tired, buddy. And he's like, and then I remember this guy has rep skip reports that he has to do one-on-ones with in 14 time zones. Oh, gosh. And not not proximal time zones. I'm like, you know, but he that that's what it takes. That's the kind of commitment yeah. to drive outcomes and 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 with a remote employee, say. So I, I don't mean to, I didn't want to bring this up just to dunk on her, but also to bring no. up the topic of as we move to a hybrid workforce, what does that look like? I think you raise a good challenge. How do we how do we build these close connections and networking and drive networking on employees whose first experience is coming fresh out of college? But I think um, I think the answer is kind of what you were talking about. It's purposeful engagement and and intentional uh, team building, right? Yeah. Even regardless of how distributed or virtualized the team is. My, right? my team is very tight, and we only get together at most, you know, a couple of days out of the year. Yeah, but, it, but, but it, it's and, very directed how we do use that time. And I feel like that's the kind of stuff that was being missed when I was reading that article. She was talking about how if you're not going to contribute to the culture, then you should be a 1099. Like, I'm just going to write you off as somebody that just comes and does work for me. But it's you, you have to look at this differently. You can hire from anywhere if your team is distributed within reason. Obviously, some teams, quite simply, they know they don't have the ability to wrangle 
14 different time zones. And, and why do there that is to some yourself? That's not there is some strength either. to slight time zone overlap. So a couple sure. hours. Yeah, yeah. Um, you do have a harder time when you, you don't have the core hours of the day. You have zero overlap because then you right. can't have when you consistently have to have someone joining team meetings at 10 p.m. It's tough on them. Yeah. You know, or and, and that's where. Yeah. So, so hiring anywhere might be a stretch, but hiring more places is real, which means that you can find better fits for culture. And if you're being purposeful about making sure that your team gets to know each other, if you can do offsites, if you have that budget to pull them in, if you don't, if, if you're intent on doing offsites a couple of times a year, but you can only you can only do it in a local pool. Okay. That limits the number of people that you can get, get into a room, but it shouldn't stop you from finding good mixes within the community because they don't have to be 10 minutes from an office. Yeah. If, if here's the thing, if people can, if you can recruit to where say, Hey, we need you to come in like once a month for something or, or once a week. Yeah. People are going to be willing to, people are willing to take a hike an for hour that. to come into the office yes. for that day. They're not, they don't want to drive an hour every day. So it's, you know, it's, there is a compounding impact there. Sure. Um, that's, and, and, and I will, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm very comfortable working out of my home at this point. I, I miss my customer interactions because I'm getting many fewer of them in person than I used to. And I, I would prefer to be looking somebody in the eye for most of those things as opposed to through Zoom. But um, you need a better, you but, need better cameras. That's, that's, hey, the, don't touch, don't touch my gear. Hey, that's hey, not, hey. We're not doing that. We're not doing it. No, Dell Tech World, the biggest announcement of Dell Tech World. There's a new hybrid camera coming out that promises SLR-like capability on an embedded camera. Oh, fancy. All right. All right. Yeah, to hell so with the server announcements, to hell with the storage. Couple, yeah, fast, none, of, none of that stuff matters. No. <laughs> um, no, what I was going to say is I, I would prefer a hybrid. Like I, I really enjoyed in my position being a work-from-home employee as designated, but we had an office in the Metroplex that I could go to. Some people chose to have a permanent cube there. I didn't, but it was great to be able to go in a couple of times a week, either for the collaborative space or as a, a place that was VMware's to bring a client to you know, that was clean and air conditioned and uh, you know didn't have construction going on. In air conditioning is a big thing here. in the South. So. <laughs> so stuff like that is, uh, is great. But um but I, I wouldn't go so far. I, I don't. I guess when I read the article, the the way that it, it came off being very aggressive towards employees that, in her mind, were apparently unwilling to be part of the culture because they didn't want to be in an office scenario, and and it seemed like the knee jerk reaction was to call them 1099 employees, drop their benefits, save the company money. But you could just as easily make an argument that not having a static permanent office building gives you savings latitude to, to cast spend the money broader net so, to spend the money on getting your teams together or making sure they have a more comfortable at-home setup or that you can, you know, set up a sommelier on a regular basis or whatever it is. Like there, there are other options here. Well, so yeah. Yeah. One, one of the things that I actually saw, one of the large uh, consulting partners did was they used to bring everyone to VMworld, just everyone. I mean, they brought like like 200 people or something Wow. Um, of their, their entire PSO org just came to VMworld. And, and there were people who would just literally, that was the only time they saw each other every year was at that conference. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be VMworld. Pick a conference and just say, we're going to bring everybody sure. here. And yeah, because yeah, that, that could be role stay. valuable as well. Yeah. Well, and the, the other trick is you can actually say, hey, we're going to get together for two days before or two days after at the end of the conference. We've actually changed yeah. our, um, we've done our offsite for like yearly planning or something. We just did it at the end of VMworld or before VMworld, we had a day or two. 
and did that. Or we did, that's great. We've also done corporate training as an offsite. So like we all came together mm-hmm. and we got um, a group to do like speaker training, like something yeah. a, a bit different. I, I did that stuff with uh, VMware at least once. And uh, it, when I was at Lockheed, especially when I was in the international team, which was more distributed um, for what I was doing, when we would get together, we would try to do it once or twice a year. And it was almost always around training. So it was uh, easier to bring in higher value speakers or even just to go over content and actually have a collaborative environment. And and I, I will give the, the author of that article this, that it is not as easy for most people, or at least many people, to be as attentive when working remotely as they are in an office scenario in a particular meeting. So on average, I don't know that people's attentions or, or uh, you know, productivity changes that much. In fact, I, I would argue that most of the earnings that we see lately kind of proves that people can be just as productive working remotely all the time in most contexts with obviously some, you know, uh, outliers in that case, right? Restaurants don't work real well when your whole staff's remote. But um, those kinds of things are real too. It, it, but there are other ways to address them. Again, it all comes back to that comfort level, expectations, feedback, you know, being proactive about it. So, well, reallocate that, reallocate some of that office budget savings to say, we're not actually going to do this just to save money. We're going to reallocate this to other tooling to make people work more efficiently yeah. and use it or just get better staff. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you got got anything else in the news? I feel like with Financial Friday, you got to talk about some of the recent earnings announcements. What do you, what'd you see that jumped off the page? Redfin, um, which, you know, they, they did well, they ex you know, but, uh, their stock always falls right after announcement. I feel like, um, what Are you buy the, buy the hype, sell the news, man. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I think they're still up three, three X for the year or something nuts. Um, nice. interesting model disrupting an industry and a sunk industry. I think they've got uh volume and gravity, uh, Redfin, by the way, they're an online, uh, Real estate company, they focus estate, on yeah. low fees, but you know, high tech folk tech, touch. Um, so yeah, so looking- what they compete with Zillow now, and uh, is, I think Red is it Rock, Red, Rocket that's doing a lot of that stuff too? They're not exactly the same though. That's probably- I don't know anyone who's really doing the same. I mean, Zillow does valuation information and like information, but they act more yeah. as a listing service. Redfin- Zillow started to do that though, they started to do some of the real estate side. Of it too. I, think, I think it was after Redfin, I think they do, or or they were or talking about it. Maybe, maybe I missed it. I, I know Redfin, I feel like pioneered that this yeah. almost robo broking. Of uh of houses brokering of houses. Well, and I, yeah, I think they'll they're doing they're going to exceed well in a in a time when people are looking for low friction. They want to buy now. Mm. So, you know, supply challenges, prices are I going up think, rapidly. I would think the selling side of that would be brilliant. Give give me a sell side uh real estate agent that knows just enough to tell me what to do. Give give me a freaking fact, and then charge me one percent for the listing fee. Right, like. That's that's a huge value add, in my opinion, well, the, the in, in a market that's hot. Now, yeah. in markets that aren't hot, you do need or want, I would argue, a real estate agent that's going to be able to go garner interest in the home. But some of that stuff, especially like right now, all bets are off. You should be able to list a house for I'm like a sign in your yard is probably enough to get a house sold in Texas or at least in large cities. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I moves the, the robo side is also really hot because it lets you, sense. it's exposed stuff previously before, if you wanted to go, if I wanted to buy a house in you know Houston, I was leaving California, uh, which please, please don't do that. Everyone, <laughs> it's, 
<laughs> it's full. We have mosquitoes, lots of mosquitoes. Uh, lots of rice too. But yeah, no, it's, but the, the challenge with that is like, you would have to go fly out there, find a real estate agent, talk to yeah. them, do some tour. You'd be yeah, that's a really good point, everything. sure. The virtual tours are pretty good. I mean, you might not actually buy off it. Some people are insane and do, but like people will actually buy off of photos now. And so it's, it's, it's helping yep. with the buy side, particularly in moves. So one thing that the, the, while I called up this earnings call, um, the CEO made an interesting statement. I was watching Bloomberg and he said that the, um, one of the challenges is in a, in a hot market normally is people are bidding, they're overbidding, they're stretching yeah, down their budgets. It's just going I, I talked to a friend right in the Bay is like, is lost 20 bids or something nuts at this point. Yeah, I'm reading and, about uh, this all the time. And what he was saying was, is that normally you wake up, you've won and you kind of have the hangover of like crap. I have financially stretched Instant myself. Buyer's my remorse. Means, just buyer's remorse. And what he said is they're seeing the satisfaction go the other way, particularly really? with all these moves of people moving to the burbs locally what or heck? moving to the lower cool. area. Is it's actually an even though they might be paying, you know, more than list, their net cash flow and free cash flow situation is going to increase no after kidding. the move. Oh, and, and that their rates have a lot to do with that too, obviously. I mean, you what you yeah. can get in a mortgage. I, I was talking to a neighbor, there's this totally anecdotal, it was, you know grapevine sort of information, but somebody was saying they got a 2% rate through Costco. I didn't even know Costco provided mortgage at all. They probably bought a couple of points for that, but still. Like, I would yeah, guess I so see. too, because that, that was lower than I expected. They claimed they wouldn't, but that's just where anecdote. I got 2.75 on a, on a refi. Yeah. So now I got, it's. I got a 265 uh, new, new rate, but. So yeah. It's we, crazy. So with the rates the way they are, you know, it's obviously been good for them. I think rates will go up. Um, there's some fears. Uh, Yellen threatened that recently. Just but, just a little bit. Threatens a strong word. They said yeah. that they said the rates may go up slightly, uh, basically to to combat some of the some of the things that look like are inflation. There's some concerns about inflation, but right now I think that's all still premature. I, I think I think real estate's still hot. I think you've yeah. got the largest generation ever, the millennial generation. Um, that's looking to buy houses and yep. it's a smaller generation after them. It was a smaller generation before. So you've got an over oversized demand. It's going to remain strong. Um, I think like we've talked to our remote work, people are, people are seriously moving. People are relocating yeah. there, even For if it's sure. within their area, they're just moving farther out. So like we talked about, they can come in the office once a week, but not more than that. I've seen that and and the Bay a lot too. That was, so, that was kind of my preferred about once a week was, was what I do even, uh, even once every other week that I liked that. I think uh, I think I think everything around the real estate sector is still going to be going strong. I think there's still limited upside because it's all everything. All assets are so ridiculously. Inflated. I'm curious if if you think the floor drops out of the housing market at some point, or if this is this is going to be just a housing price inflation in the areas that are on fire right now. Um, I mean, what goes up always comes down a little bit in real estate, but it's I mean, it's so hard to tell. Well, I mean, all real estate situations are local and the one of the biggest challenges and the question is, is whether any of the federal legislation will come through to clean this up because the mm -hmm. states can't do it. They're terrible at it um, is is look at the the NIMBY stuff. So the the stuff that, you know, down zoning, um, like particularly uh -huh. I single out the bay here. You've got these, you know, whole areas where like there was a project in Palo Alto to build. I think it was like 80 um, residential apartment units for teachers. 
And like everyone oh, was fighting wow. it tooth and nail of like, no, we don't need a dense housing here. And it's like, okay, you don't have you you have a teacher you problem. Don't have teachers. Like they I think Zuckerberg was like, hey, I'm gonna build some apartments for the teachers. And hey, here's another like, thought. Pay them more. Just thought. Well, I don't know. Well, the problem with trying to hire teachers in th- in that environment is it's not just that you pay them, it's you've got all the contractual stuff for the uh, mm. the pensions because the, the comp plan is, it's an iceberg. Yeah whenever you're talking public service. Mm. Uh, so that's, that's a good point. Um, I mean, yeah, but no, it's uh, I think that the, the cha- it's, you've got artificial limits in a lot of desirable markets to where you've got uh forced down zoning. You've got D de- you know, the local control is very much who controls who can build where in a lot of these markets and local control says, well, we own the houses and they're valuable because no one can build. So let's stop building. I mean, that's just, you've got a feedback yeah. loop there. That of short of state or federal action coming in and saying no to, um, I don't know how you're going to, you're going to maintain uh, borderline, very hard, affordable conditions on a lot of the uh, high profile markets because of that. There are some potential political disruption challengers. You see Andrew Yang pushing to fight that in New York City. Um, I I question if any outsider will be able to break through that in some of these markets. I mean, the counter example, that's Houston, where we just don't have zoning and people build whatever <laughs> Do whatever you want. they want. And uh, jungle rules, jungle rules. Like it's, you play Jenga with the the, commi- the housing committee. No, I mean, there's just no zoning. So this is like a bar 700 feet from my house. Someone I've been to that bar. Building into a bar. It's, oh, it's a great little place. But no, this is, this is awesome. the, you know, a tale of two cities here that if we want to talk about what's going to lead to sustained high real estate supply and demand. And when you look at a lot of these, these in demand markets, now there is an interesting trend on real estate from a finance perspective is like the sun belts, all these golf course retirement neighborhoods as the boomers retire, Gen X is too small to move into those houses Mm -hmm. um, as it's just a general size. And also um, I don't think any like these giant houses that have all been built on the sun belt for retirees and golfing communities. They're not near work. They're like on the periphery of cities often. Bad connectivity. Uh, They're purposely outside of the neighbor suburban core. So like, yeah, I, I, I don't know who's going to move into them. I think we're going to see some, not necessarily like boom ghost towns, but that'd be weird. I, I, mean, I don't know. I, I mean, work. maybe you I, and I obviously just work from a golf course in, in Arizona. There but. you go. Well, and I was going to say too, I think it depends, like you said earlier on the locality specifically, because uh, you know, what I'm seeing in the market in North Texas uh, sounds a lot like what you were talking about with the Bay Area, too. It's just it, it's insane. People are listing their houses. They're getting 80 viewings in one weekend. They're getting 25 offers, not one that is below list. And they're taking the best one all cash and, you know, 15 percent over because then appraisals off. People are waiving inspections, uh, well, like so some no of that, option periods. Like it's crazy. Yeah. So one other thing to remember is uh, everyone's talked about, there's been this boogeyman, particularly on the West Coast housing. You talked to Vancouver of foreign buyers. There's foreign mm. buyers and yeah, yeah, there's money laundering, whatever. Fine. <laughs> um, I mean, I wouldn't want to hold the wand. I don't blame them, you know, just shovel out, show up in Vancouver airport with bags full of cash, you know, buy buy some property. Sure. Fine. But like that is, that is nowhere near the scale. We're also seeing right now, um, historically, being a landlord's a shit job. So in property management, it's a race to the bottom. That's why they're all terrible. They're Sith Lords. But there is starting to be this perception that, hey, this is a, you know, an asset that will hedge inflation. This is an asset that rentals are still, you know, it's a good mark. It's a, there's good margin in it. 
particularly when you're looking on the spreads against houses. And when you look at houses in, in high near areas, you're actually seeing in some markets as high as 50% of the money coming in for these housing buys, particularly sight unseen crap is, uh, is corporate money. So you've got private, private funds yeah, that are actually I, I was hearing about coming this. into I this. Read and an article about that recently. Yep. I would, I, uh, I made some placements into real estate, uh, some real estate private placements a, a year or two ago. And one of the arguments that compelled me was saying like, look, we're starting to see large corporate interest in the, in the residential single prop, single family housing market. I was like, wow, that's a weird place to be because it's really easy for renters to tear stuff up and do that. But then again, if they actually bring some professionalism to rental management, sure. so if you got somebody like, if you take the management team at Camden, who really, there's a, there's a company I love. Um, took like the, uh, someone who actually takes like a large fortune 500 mindset to residential property management and did that in single, single homes. Um, could be great. That would be cause a lot of people have had landlords and it's, you know, it's, it's a real weird, wacky mixed experience. And it's half the reason I ended up becoming a homeowner was cause I just hated property management companies. Like I really did. They're all Sith Lords and you know, now I just get to deal with problems myself, but I, I take that, but no, I think, uh, <laughs> if large amounts of corporate money come into the housing, it's not, this isn't, and, and that helps hedge. So let's say the market gets overflated. These guys can sit on these houses longer term because of the yeah. length of their, their holdings. They can run it, break even on rents. You know what happens to a, to, you know, these guys, if they all get to where they're 3% underwater on their rental comps payments, they'll survive. Okay. Yeah, they're not going to implode. Fine. They didn't promise annuities or cash off it. They might have levered up a little sure. hard, but but debt was cheap when they did it. You right. know what happened in the housing collapse when the banks all ended up with empty houses? <laughs> you know what banks don't want on their balance sheet? You know what actually will get them shut down and the FDIC will come open the doors and change the sign out front? That's, that's holding a bunch of bad banking debt. Your Texas, yeah. We call it the Texas ratio for a damn reason. <laughs> and uh, no, it's it's... So I think that even if we get a, a extended downtime, I think these people are willing to sit there and stare it out and hold the chips. These are yeah. not your mom and pop regional bankers. These are not people who are running mortgage paper and were and got greedy and held the paper Man. too long, which is what happened here, you know, with Metro National and some local banks. That that's not this. Like, you know, if the if the musical chairs game, the music stops and everyone has to sit down, these people are happy to take some runners at a loss for and play the long con. Um, yeah, this this is a different. I'm curious, like class. for whatever goodness that brings to the markets, I'm I'm curious what what it robs, uh, you know, the generations that are incoming looking for houses though too, because it's institutional money that's that is inevitably going to drive prices up, and and the fact that they can hold it forever and not really have to worry the about it. The story of housing and college and and healthcare and all costs is pull the yeah. drawbridge up for the generation behind. So good luck to them. <laughs> It's true. It's awful, but it's true. All right. So Redfin, who else? What else was exciting? I feel like, uh, man, I, I can't find a good list of what I missed, but I remember seeing some of it. I know uh, Apple had its earnings and gosh, I saw a chart. Um, Apple's in like it, a super cycle of just hitting on all the yeah, strong killing refreshes. It. Well, so, they, no, I can't remember the context of the chart now completely, but it compared AirPod, just AirPod revenue to like other major industries and AirPods were like in the top three or four compared to all of these name brands. Like Netflix makes less than freaking AirPods. <laughs> it's insane how profitable Apple is with everything that they do. 
it's but it's 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 accumulation of heavy R and D investment, good yeah. supply chains. They they learned a long. Well, they time get their ago. customers too. Yeah, you know they yeah they get the customer need. It's yeah, you know, make people happy. I mean, one thing is the tech sector, which is notoriously overflated. And there's been this term I think coined lately called like the tech lash, of <laughs> like you know is there a giant backlash coming? Is Congress you know, should I fear for my holding the cubes right now uh, that Congress and antitrust are, are going to break up big tech or big tech's vulnerable? Um, I, I just want to throw out my hot take of no, no, and no. Um, <laughs> I, I think that uh, if you look at if if you look at uh, polls of do most people think tech is a force for good versus not, it's like seventy eight to twelve. Um, sentiment of tech companies. People like technology companies. Yeah. They view them as healthy. They view them as good. Yes, I think they're super important geopolitically as well. This is actually a conversation I got to have with my father-in-law recently. And do you uh, want him here or do you want him somewhere else? You know, is the other exactly, thing. exactly. Yeah, like if if uh, if you're angry at a uh, Facebook for what it's doing to potentially manipulate the way people interact with each other or, or follow something down a dark path, would you rather it be? Zuckerberg and his army of people coming out of the United States or, or his or do you want editors coming out of somewhere else. Exactly. Because yeah. the, the, at the end of the day, uh, it's pretty obvious at this point that most of the world wants to interact on social media platforms and they're going to one way or the other. So be really careful about killing the ones that you've got close to you in your backyard as opposed to watching other I ones thrive, right? I've also suffered and watched four hours of the banking and finance subcommittee. Um, and you know, uh -oh. before, before our last tech talk, I watched the whole like GME thing play out and watch those interviews. She's still and hilarious. I I'm still drawn by having watched every interaction. I watched, you know, members of Congress tweet about tech companies and amazing things. how much they don't understand. I mean, they also don't understand like the first amendment, but you know, that's a whole other matter. <laughs> Uh, like watching their commentary on section 230 and all this stuff. And I'm like, man, like I don't view myself as particularly brilliant, but I'm smarter than the people on these committees. Like, it's just, yeah. Like, I don't, I, I don't mean to trigger Dunning Kruger here, but I, I'm yeah. not confident that Congress, if there is a way to wrangle big tech, it's, it's, these are not the people that are going to find it. No, uh, I, I agree. I tend to agree with that. It'll be a geopolitical competitor. It will sure. be another, just another company will come up and, you know, and, and to a certain degree, they are starting, I guess the, the threat of, um, of better oversight, you know, there's the Apple Epic lawsuit stuff yeah. like that it is triggering them to club each other a bit. It so is Apple's pri default privacy settings and anti-track mechanisms. And um, I'm always torn on all that stuff too, because it, it's this, this threat of sort of anti-monopolistic behavior, which feels more real recently than it has for quite some time for those tech companies, at least in, in so far as it's reported on, right, does seem to have kind of got them all scurrying to say, oh, no, 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 we can totally self-regulate. We're going to do the right thing. See, look, just yesterday, I finally did something to protect somebody's privacy. I'm doing it. Don't you yeah, worry I about Facebook it. A, I'm giving Facebook <laughs> a swirly. I'm making them actually just say <laughs> the creepy stuff they do about you. But uh, Oh my gosh, you just reminded me. Um, well, two things. One, apparently something like 96% of Apple users are giving uh, giving Facebook the, the snub end of that deal and they're not opting into sharing all of that data, which is uh, an ugly number for Facebook, obviously. And I, I've seen uh, even some I, I think Facebook about and Google have some, some real risk of not yeah. actually antitrust, but just Apple blocking their access to data. <laughs> 
Well, well, so um, one of the one of the suggestions I saw that just kind of came out of the woodwork was that uh, Facebook could potentially start charging iOS users to uh, to use Facebook, which would be really curious because I would think I might actually a huge get back on to Facebook if I, I could just pay them. You know, <laughs> can I just pay you like hundred bucks a year me? and not to be creepy? I mean, I actually saw their also, monetization per user; it's like seventeen bucks or something. Like, yeah, yeah. here's twenty. Like, keep the change. Uh, yeah, we were we were talking about that on Monday. I think um, we were talking about the monetization per user. So uh, what it would there cost was a company to- I know who did that. So SpiceWorks, uh, they make uh, free help desk software that they they monetize ads and, and direct targeting, and that was kind of their business model. Nice. And they actually always had a paid version that I only have ever, ever heard of one person using. I asked them, I was like, "So how much revenue do you got the paid version?" They're like, oh, uh, like we don't care about the paid version. It's just there, so people, so that when people deploy it, they're like, they can tell their boss, "Hey, if we decide we don't want this, we can do that." So, I think if they just eh. if Facebook came out, you it's make worth a point. shot, you know. If Facebook just came out and said, "Hey, you know, ten bucks a month, whatever, we'll give you all the privacy. We'll you're a black hole to everyone. We won't sell any, share anything, whatever." I think they they could just shut up antitrust. They could shut up the Senate. They could shut everyone up overnight. And I think well, and what, 2% uh, of Aaron people and, would do it. 2% of people Aaron, would do it. Aaron and, and Russ and I were arguing about this too, is would would users pay for the service to not get the the tracking and then still accept advertisements? And and I've seen some decent arguments for like, that's how cable TV has worked. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Pay for I mean, cable TV and bill? they send advertisements to you. So I, I'm personally, that makes that just makes my skin crawl. But but I think a lot of people would be like, yeah, okay, fine. Don't collect my information and I will still consume your advertising. It just won't be targeted anymore. Um, well, it, it'll, it'll be curious to see how this plays out though. Because I think Facebook has to do something. It can't afford to lose ninety six percent of its, you know, fourteen dollars a head on every iPhone, right? It, it will find a way around it, one way or the other. Whether it's charging for the service or doing something even more creepy and finding a way around this, I don't know. But uh, I don't think that fight is, is over. Is one of the issues here is if you can't be creepy with the ads. I think we forgot just growing up how untargeted <laughs> ads are. Yeah. Like, have you? I went on a trip a while back, and we, you know, I don't watch cable. I don't have cable TV, but I, you know, I'm at a hotel, so I'm laying there in bed with my wife after dinner. I was like, I'll turn on the TV, and I'm like, man, these ads are for a completely different demographic. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Was, it's it's awful. No, I, it's I like, do. I I remember that stuff because it it you could. I mean, I don't even think I could quote them because obviously the kid ads were very targeted and then at some point they realized wait while kids are watching saturday morning cartoons parents are often sitting there too so you'd suddenly get like the dawn ad mixed in with the johnson and easy bake oven right yeah yeah like they they knew what they were doing too but um yeah i think i think those are all I, i like i said i don't think that's quite done but it reminds me too did you see the uh signal um Instagram, yes. Facebook saga with advertising. That's yeah. hilarious. So for, for the folks that are listening that didn't see this or weren't aware of it, Signal, the, the, it's a privacy-centric app um, with the, the founder of that company is like a, a SecOps guy, right? Um, he, uh, he actually, or, or they, Signal, released advertisements on Instagram and Facebook that took the targeted ad information and then just put like a blue block in front of users. And it said stuff like, you got this ad because you're a newlywed Pilates instructor and you're cartoon crazy. This ad used your location to see you're in La Jolla. You're into parenting blogs and thinking about LGBTQ adoption. And it's like, 
boom, we know all the things. We know all the things. And uh, Facebook and Instagram uh, killed it. They killed the advertising campaign. Like, this isn't an ad. It's a... An attention grab. The the, the signal crew has been are. on a troll because you've got that, and then you got their war against the Israeli um, police, like the device you plug into an iPhone to scrape. Yes, yes, that was that and was that, hilarious. That's another one. Readers, go read that story. They basically led to them, well, probably getting Apple's lawyers involved. That's that one's a good one. Yeah, we you know we brought that one up uh, a couple of days back, a couple of episodes back too. It was uh, that was a fun one. We dug into it a good bit, but uh, but I signal signals mucks and stuff up, man. It's fun. Yeah, no, bl- bl- we call it blue. My friends and I, we call it blue app. You know, instead of instead of green app, we go. use blue app. So. There you go. I, I like that. And they do. They have. They got that similar. You know, talk bubble thing going on, don't they? Um, just wonder when someone we'll get pens. sued for that. Uh, but they picked the right color, right? Blue, blue and white. All right, man. I appreciate you hopping on the show. Thanks for filling in the gap. That brings another Tech Breakfast podcast to a close. Thanks everybody for listening to us. Thanks again, John, for joining us. Fantastic financial Friday. Have a great weekend. Enjoy your evening and I will talk to you later.